Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. conference call is being recorded today and will be webcast along with a slide deck which can be found on Crescent Point's website homepage. The webcast may not be recorded or rebroadcast without the express consent of Crescent Point Energy. All amounts discussed today are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise stated. The complete financial statement and management's discussion and analysis for the period ending June 30th, 2020, were announced this morning and are available on the Crescent Point, CDAR, and EDGAR websites. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session from members of the investment community. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one, on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw for your question, press star 2. During the call, management may make projections or other forward-looking statements regarding future events or future financial performance. Actual performance, events, or results may differ materially. Additional information or factors that could affect Crescent Point's operations or financial results are included in Crescent Point's most recent annual information form, which may be accessed through the Crescent Point, CDAR, or EDGAR websites or by contracting, contacting Crescent Point Energy. Management also calls your attention to the forward-looking information and non-GAAP measures section of the press release issued earlier today. I will now turn the call over to Craig Braixa, President and Chief Executive Officer at Crescent Point. Please go ahead, Mr. Braixa. Thank you, Operator. I'd like to welcome everyone to our second quarter 2020 conference call. With me today are Ken Lamont, Chief Financial Officer, and Ryan Gritzfeldt, Chief Operating Officer. As the Operator highlighted, this conference call is being webcast along with the slide deck, which can be found on our website. Before we discuss our second quarter highlights, I think it's important to provide some comments on our current macro environment and what it means for Crescent Point moving forward. During the last several months, our industry has witnessed an unprecedented series of events. With global oil demand declining by up to 20 million barrels per day, increased volatility in commodity prices, greater uncertainty around market access, and widespread financial restructuring in some cases, including bankruptcies. Despite these negative headlines, I strongly believe that those energy companies that remain disciplined and agile, such as ourselves, will successfully overcome these current market headwinds. Over the coming months, we expect demand for crude to naturally increase as economies reopen. To put things in context, this past quarter saw the largest drop in global oil demand in recent history, yet demand only fell by approximately 20%. Oil remains a leading source of energy around the world and demand is expected to fully recover to pre-pandemic levels over the next year, according to the EIA. 
With respect to supply, we believe future production growth will be limited as industry continues to shift towards prioritizing returns, free cash flow generation, and conservative balance sheets. If companies remain disciplined, supply and demand dynamics for oil and gas should improve, which will help support stronger long-term commodity prices. Though the longevity of the current pandemic remains unknown, I'm confident that our industry will continue to adapt to prevailing conditions. For Crescent Point, this adaptation is nothing new. Over the past two years, we have taken a number of steps to enhance our long-term success. Our execution across all fronts of our business during this time has centered around our core principles of balance sheet strength and sustainability. By being proactive, we have been able to maintain our financial flexibility while continuing to reduce our net debt. We've also enhanced our sustainability by lowering both our cost structure and our sustaining capital requirements. Earlier this year, we announced we had reduced our operating expenses in 2020 by 50 million or 7%. I'm pleased to report that we have achieved additional cost reductions throughout the organization, resulting in an expected per well capital cost savings of 10%. With these capital cost reductions, we are on pace to spend at the lower end of our 2020 capital guidance. I'm also pleased to report that during the second quarter, we released our second annual sustainability report. I'm proud of the work we've accomplished to strengthen our ESG performance, and I'm also proud of how effectively we have managed our operations during the COVID-19 pandemic. As highlighted in our sustainability report, we have built a strong safety culture, lowered our emissions and asset retirement obligations, adopted a technology platform that is reducing operational risk and delivering efficiencies aligned our compensation program with ESG metrics, and increased our commitment to inclusion and diversity. In addition to these highlights, as part of our commitment to ESG, we have also set an emissions target. We are committed to reducing our emissions intensity by 30% by 2025, which includes a reduction in our methane emissions of more than 50%. At the same time, we have also enhanced our ESG risk management reporting under the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD framework. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Ken to discuss our financial results. Thanks, Craig. For the quarter ended June 30, 2020, our adjusted fund flow totaled $109 million, or $0.21 cents per share diluted, despite WTI averaging less than U.S. dollars 28 uh, per barrel. Our second quarter development capital expenditures totaled $72 million, down from $320 million in the first quarter, Due to normal seasonality related to spring breakup, in addition to our proactive decision to curtail spending in a low commodity price environment. As a result, we generated excess cash flow during the quarter, during the quarter and reduced our net debt. As at June 30, 2020, our net debt stood at approximately $2.3 billion, down over $450 million since year-end 2019. We retain significant liquidity with over $2.4 billion of cash and unutilized credit capacity, in addition to over $350 million of unrealized gains in our cross-currency swaps to provide additional financial flexibility. We have no material near-term senior note maturities and our credit facilities do not mature until October 2023. The balance of our capital program for 2020 is primarily weighted to the fourth quarter and remains flexible and discretionary. At current strip prices, we, f- we expect to fully fund our capital program within funds flow. 
Through our hedging program, we have built a position that provides us strong downside protection as over 65% of our oil and liquids production, net of royalty interest, is hedged through the remainder of the year. During the quarter, we optimized and restructured our hedge portfolio in order to provide additional downside protection during the balance of the year. As a result, our remaining hedges in 2020 are now primarily comprised of swaps at attractive prices at approximately $65 Canadian per barrel or an equivalent of $48 US per barrel. We've also layered in some additional 2021 hedges into our portfolio, although at a modest rate given the current commodity prices. We will look to increase our hedged exposure in a disciplined manner over time. I will now turn things over to Ryan to provide some operational highlights. Ryan? Thanks, Ken. In the second quarter of 2020, our production averaged 120,842 BOE per day and was comprised of over 90% oil and liquids. As previously announced, we took decisive action during the quarter to conduct a rigorous well-by-well analysis and voluntarily shut in certain production. Our shut-in decisions were largely based on well-by-well level economics. The shut-in volumes we announced during the quarter were primarily located outside of our key focus areas and also included curtailed production. By slowing down volumes in certain wells, we expect to be able to restore production in a more efficient and cost-effective manner than if we had fully shut in such production. Although a large portion of the shut-in production is economic at current strip prices, we continue to seek additional stability in commodity prices and overall market conditions before executing our measured and staged reactivation plans. This strategy is consistent with our disciplined approach to operations and will ensure we avoid prematurely restoring production and incurring unnecessary shut-in costs in the future. Earlier in the year, we highlighted how our new workflow improvements and our adoption of digital technology have delivered approximately $50 million of sustainable operating expense savings in 2020, or 7% of our original budget. We are continuing to roll out these initiatives throughout our entire operations as part of our plan to realize additional efficiencies. As a result of our ongoing efforts to further enhance our sustainability, I am pleased to report that we now expect to realize per well capital cost savings of over 10% on average by year end compared to our original 2020 budget. Our improvement in capital costs includes internal efficiencies through reduced drilling days, improved frac optimization, and increased pad drilling efficiencies. As part of our commitment to decline mitigation, we have continued to convert producing wells to water injection wells, with approximately 45 of these conversions completed year to date. The economics of these conversions are competitive within our portfolio, given both the cost improvements we have realized and the reduced opportunity associated with converting a producing well during a low price environment. Finally, I would like to commend our employees and specifically our field staff for their dedication and commitment to ensuring we continue to operate safely while also realizing notable cost efficiencies. I will now pass it back to Craig for some closing remarks. Thanks, Ryan. In summary, by continuing to be disciplined and agile, we were able to preserve our strong financial position and enhance our long-term sustainability during the quarter. As a result, we are now in position to meet or exceed our current annual average production guidance of 110 to 114,000 BOE per day with capital expenditures trending toward the lower end 
of our guidance range of 650 to 700 million in 2020. Looking ahead, we have recently initiated our formal budgeting process for 2021. During this process, we will continue to focus on returns, balance sheet strength, and sustainability. We plan to spend within fund flow and will remain disciplined in the event of higher commodity prices. We expect our sustaining capital requirements to decrease significantly in comparison to the start of the year due to our cost-saving initiatives, an expected moderation in our production decline rate, and our current pace of activity. Before I open the call for questions, I'd also like to welcome our newest board member, Myron Stadnick. Many of you in the financial community know Myron well, given his long-standing tenure at ARC Resources prior to retiring as president and CEO earlier this year. Myron is a proven leader that brings a wealth of knowledge and experience further complementing the strength of our current board. We welcome Myron and look forward to his future contributions. With that, I'll now open the call for questions from the investment community. Operator, please open the call. Thank you very much. As a reminder for members of the investment community, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press star 2. We will pause for a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Juan. Jaha, I'm very sorry for my pronunciation, from TD Securities. Are you there, JJ? We can't hear you. Operator, maybe go to the next one there. We can't hear JJ at all. Okay, thank you very much. So your next question comes from Patrick O'Rourke from ATB Capital. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Patrick O'Rourke here. Um, just kind of curious, you've had a lot of success, uh, especially in the divestiture market. Uh, just wondering if you could give us our view on the prevailing and underlying conditions for M&A going forward, how you're thinking about that. Um, you know, are, is it still predominantly on the divestiture side, or um, are you now starting to change the focus and think about opportunities, and then maybe kind of, you know, what the magnitude of, of things could look like either way? I know there's not a ton left that's non-core in the portfolio. Uh, good morning, and, and thanks for the question. Um, as you've noted, too, I, I think over the last few, couple years in particular, we've done a very good job of the disposition process that we went through and really refocusing um, our asset base and our portfolio and getting our balance sheet into a, into a stronger position, what I would call now is a position of strength. How I would answer that I would is basically, you know, we're always looking to add value, um, whether that's A or D. Uh, we are looking to add value, so certainly dispositions has been the focus over the last couple of years. That being said, 
um, we will take a look at things here into the future and, and see how that uh, plays out. But again, anything that we do do or do look at uh, has to improve us around our two core pillars and that being long-term sustainability um, or balance sheet strength. So we're still focused on those and that will continue to be the focus. Uh, so anything that we look at doing, whether A or D, uh, is going to be an improvement on, on those metrics. I do see, you know, as you do look out, just to be a bit more of a macro picture, I, I do see the need for consolidation um, within the, uh, the energy sector. And I do think you'll start to see a little bit more of that here as, as the year starts to play out and then play into 2021. When you're thinking about potential on the A side, is there sort of a minimum threshold where, you know, things would have to be to be meaningful for you? Um, or, you know, is there the potential that we could see um, something where it's high inventory but earlier uh, earlier days? Uh, so anything on that front is going to be, um, you know, an, an individual entity and, and whatever that metrics are around that um, how, is how we look at it. So, you know, whether it's large or small, I, I can't answer that. Um, but again, if it looks to improve us in the context of those two core pillars, then we'd certainly look at it. Okay, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Juan Jara with TD Securities. I'll try again. Can you guys hear me now? We can hear you, JJ. Go ahead. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah, really the only question I really had was on operating costs. I mean, every quarter it seems like you continue to impress us from that perspective. Uh, pretty big beat on that front this quarter, and I think Q1 was, was in a similar situation. So congrats on that. I guess my question to you is, you know, one, how sustainable are some of these op cost reduction initiatives? Uh, and two, as follow-on to that, how much further room could we see on that front? Well, thanks for the question, JJ. And I don't want to steal Ryan's thunder on this, so I'll end up passing it to him shortly. But I think when you look at what our operations team has done in the past 18 months on the operating cost structure, it's incredible, really. Um, it's now $120 million of sustainable cost savings uh, in the last two years, and we're going to continue to relentlessly focus on that. But Again, before stealing Ryan and his team's thunder, maybe I'll pass that over to Ryan for some comments. Yeah, hi, JJ. Um, yeah, so like Craig said, we're, we continue to be very pleased with our focus on OPEX reduction, um, you know, from our new workflows and our, our operational technology platform. Uh, Q2, you did definitely see some, some continued momentum uh, from these savings, and, and definitely the savings year-to-date are sustainable. Um, as to, you know, future quarters, I, I continue to be hesitant to throw reduction targets, uh, reduction targets with this new initiative, um, you know, until we actually achieve them. But, but as I mentioned, we're, we're continuing to, to roll out these new workflows to, uh, to all of the field operations in our areas and, and hope to see continued savings by year end. No, it uh, looks great, so we look forward to that. The other, the other interesting thing I noticed in your new presentation is uh, a new discussion of decline rates uh, in 2021. And if I can read that chart, it looks like it's somewhere between 25 and 26%, which is a you know, pretty good improvement over 
you know, the 30 plus that uh, we've seen in, in recent history. So I guess, you know, how much of that would you say is due to just natural uh, reduction in spending uh, as much as the industry has gone through and maybe how much of that is due to the uh, water flood uh, projects that you're working on? Um, so thanks for the question, JJ, and it's a good point. So if you remember, we started this year around 30% decline rate. Uh, next year we're looking to be in that call 25% range, so it's pretty significant change. Um, and it is a combination of both of those things that you highlighted. So it is, it's a combination of the company's commitment to decline mitigation and then uh, again, lowering that pace of activity has also supported that. What that split is, um, I don't know that right off the top of my head. It's, it's, it's a combination, like you say, of both. Um, but again, as Ryan highlighted in the, in the conference call, you know, that commitment is still there on converting um, injection wells and we have executed on that uh, in this environment. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, and we are starting to see, we're not starting, well, we are continuing to see the success of that, in particular when you look at view field and the decline rates of the offsetting injection wells um, or the pr producers to the injectors. Um, so again, that 25% is supported by both that uh, decline mitigation and a little bit of a lower pace of activity. And long term, where do you see uh, Crescent Point's decline rate, like in a kind of an ideal scenario without any M&A or, or any of that stuff? like? What's your personal goal, goal to see that target? Well, we want to continue to drive that down over time, and, and um, you know that's a that's a tough question to tell you or to answer and give you exactly what it'll be over a few years because it does. Um, there's a number of uh, variables that roll into that, but as as we can continue to focus on that and drive it down, you know, ideally we can push that into the call it low 20s here over a few year time period. But we'll see how how that shakes out. Again, the focus is on it, JJ, and we are going to continue to, uh, to really drive that down uh, as much as we can. No, that was good. Uh, that's all I had. Good quarter. Thanks, guys. Thanks, JJ. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Jordan McNiven from Tudor Pickering. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi guys, just wanted to ask um, on the shut-ins, uh, sounds like a very conservative, conservative approach to bringing them back. Are you able to give us an indication um, of what the cash flow break even looks like uh, kind of on an average or in general on these assets just to kind of gauge, you know, the impact we might be looking at as we think about them coming back into the market? Yeah, so um, as far as the timing of the shut-in volumes, I, I, and what we've been saying and what we've been holding to is we were looking, we we're really looking for some stability in commodity prices. And by stability, uh, we were looking for about $35 WTI pricing with normal differentials for a couple months uh, before we started to bring these back online. We just didn't want to have the uh, go ahead and bring them back on and then all of a sudden commodities dip off and, and us incur more costs than we needed to. So I think we've seen that. Um, so look for us to start to, to finalize our plans and then bring those back online. Um, as far as your questions around cash flow, um, those are certainly, uh, they would certainly be positive cash flow right now. And, and when you start to press above that, call it uh, $30 WTI prices, they're certainly making uh, money for us. It's just that we were looking for a little bit more stability. So, you know, as we bring those volumes back online, um, look for us to, to uh, let the market know what that looks like, um, you know, in, in some, some time period here in the future. Okay, so I mean, it sounds like 
for the most part, we're probably talking about $30-ish kind of break-evens. I mean, that probably is, you know, quick math. I mean, probably is a pretty meaningful um, contribution to cash flow. I'm, I do the mental math, right? It's probably something like $20 million for the quarter or something like that, I guess. Um, I mean, well, I guess when you compare that to what the cost would be and the risks of bringing it back too early and having to turn around and, um, you know, shut them in again or incur further costs, I mean, um, you know, you really kind of give us an indication of what that looks like. How much, you know, on aggregate would you say it costs to kind of shut in on, on a mass level like this um, versus, you know, potentially the economic upside? Yeah, so it, it, it we, well, first, we did things the right way. We made sure when we were putting them all down that we spent the time and didn't need TLC uh, that we needed to do. So any work downhole or even on the facilities that were, were going down that we would shut it in properly so we didn't have hiccups bringing it back. So that work was done. Uh, for us to bring them back online is 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 not a huge uh, dollar commitment on that. So you know whether it's a, a million or two, it's it's not a, a, a real significant component. And then again, because we spent that money the first time shutting them in, if we had to do it again for us to now uh, turn them down or shut them in, uh, you're looking at a similar spend. So it's not a very significant amount. We just wanted to make sure that we had a stable commodity price. And I, again, I think we've seen that now here with oil being where it is. Um, the last couple months, we're at the levels where we're comfortable. Uh, so we're going to solidify those plans here, and, and then um, again, we'll get some note to the market as as uh, as we need to, and, and that changes. But your your number around 30 bucks, uh, that's a fair comment. Around 30 dollar WTI, um, uh, for the most part, things are good. The other thing I would say is, you know, as we bring these back online, it's rough, approximately 25,000 BW per day. There is some there is some volumes that we will not be bringing back. Uh, if you remember, there's about 4,000 BUE per day of our, uh, uh, from our SEEP gas plant in southern Saskatchewan uh, that, you know, with the way ethane prices are right now, don't expect us to bring that back on in the near future. So it'll be more of a measured approach uh, as we go through that. Okay, perfect. That's it for me. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks for the question. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Michael Harvey from RBC Capital Market. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Uh, sure. Thanks. Good morning, guys. So maybe just a, a bit of a broader question on your operations as you're pulling together the 2021 program. Uh, so just wondering if you plan to adjust the regional capital allocation kind of between assets from where it sat in 2020. And just what I mean by that is uh, we've heard lots about cost reductions and uh, efficiencies, but are there asset-specific parts of your portfolio where those changes have worked particularly well, where you'd tilt more capital to in 21? Um, obviously, we're finding that some of the op stuff can get a little lost in the noise these days, and just wondering if you could flag some of those regions that you're most excited about uh, as we look forward to uh, next year. That's it for me. So thanks for the question, Mike. Um, so we, we have initiated our, our formal 2021 process right now, and we are going through that right now. Um, where I'm excited and why I'm excited is that those cost savings we're seeing across the board. Uh, so there's been significant wins here on cost reductions um, across our focus areas. Uh, so as we go through and, and uh, review our capital alloc uh, allocation process, don't look for material changes am amongst the asset base itself. Uh, we probably will be fairly consistent on that. Um, but again, that 10% reduction on the per well uh, unit costs already that we're seeing this year uh, is across the base. So um, that's what really brings in, in some of the excitement. And, and I don't know, Ryan, if you'd want to add anything to that. Again, Mike, we've just initiated the process. Um, so as we 
we'll through that, you know, we'll, we'll paint a, a clear picture to the market at some point in time here. Got it. It's helpful. Thanks. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Amir Arif from Cormac Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Thanks. Good morning, guys. Uh, just just a follow-up question on the shot-in volumes there. So uh, should we assume, based on your comments there, that about 20, at least 21,000 will be coming back sometime in the second half in terms of yeah. putting those volumes back on? So, again, you know, I think we're at the level now where we're comfortable with the WTI pricing and the differentials and how things have played out that we're, we're going to formalize our plans here and then look for us to bring that on. Um, I don't know if it'll be exactly, you know, if it'll be exactly the full 21,000 or what it'll end up being, but again, approximately 4,000 of that was from that ethane extraction plant. Um, so don't look for that to come back here in the near future. And then again, as, as we do finalize it, uh, we'll, we'll update the market. And then just a question on the 10% reduction in capital costs. I understand like a flat lake, for example, you're getting a larger reduction, it's about 20%. Is there anything different about that asset that you're doing that's, that's allowing you to have a larger cost savings on the wells over there versus the other areas? Um, I think just in general, you know, what, what I mentioned too on, you know, reduced drilling days, uh, continuing to, to optimize our fracks, uh, some pad drilling efficiencies. So I think, you know, in Flat Lake specifically, um, we've made maybe a little bit more advances in that area compared to others. But um, in general, um, across the board, it is from, you know, the reduced drilling days, continue to optimize fracks um, and pad drilling efficiencies. Those are really the, the three key, key uh, reasons. Okay. Uh, and then just final question, just on 21, I know it's early days, you guys are just starting to think about the process, but just in terms of the strategy of how, you lay, are you, how you're planning that out, are you looking to just live, live within cash flow or are you looking for further absolute debt reduction as you lay out a plan relative to whatever cash flow might look like in 21? It'll be, it's going to focus on, on really what we focused on here the past couple of years, so long-term sustainability and balance sheet strength. Um, Look for us like we have we have this year. You know we've made it very clear to the market that we will certainly live within cash flow. Uh, so look for us to to carry that same uh, theme into 2021. So uh, we will we will be looking to live within cash flow and not build any incremental debt. And ideally, commodity tape as it starts to rise uh, gives us a benefit. And and we're we're quite torqued to the upside. Um, as oil prices start to to run, that we have a significant amount of free cash flow. Uh, that'll start to be generated. So, um, again, w one of the pluses of what we're going through right now, um, as far as the pandemic and the commodity price crashes, it, it is as we, you know, as we talked a little bit there with JJ earlier, as far as our decline rate, it certainly helped our sustaining capital. So, in order for us to stay relatively flat year over year, we need to spend around 650 million. Um, so, you know, uh, we'll see how commodity prices are. Um, as we're going through the budgeting process, but look for us to live uh, within cash flow. Okay, thanks for the call, Craig. Thanks for the questions. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Travis Wood from National Bank. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Oh, yeah, good morning, everybody. Um, Craig, in your opening remarks, you touched on the sustainability report that you guys published last month. 
I know that type of thing in this market with all the, the macro headwinds can get overlooked, but um, I know a lot of effort goes into that. It still comes up in conversation with certain institutional clients. So could you help us understand that 30% target over the next five years, kind of what, what drivers will, will uh, get you to that level by 2025? Thanks. Thanks, Travis. I, that, you know, we were, we were quite excited to get that sustainability report. That's our second annual sustainability report. So look for us to continue to build off that uh, <clears throat> into the future. But one of the things that we did lay out in that, that report this year was that emissions reduction target of 30%. Um, and I, I did highlight in the opening remarks there that not only is it 30% emissions reductions, but it's actually 50% on the methane uh, reductions, which we all know is the most harmful to greenhouse gases. So um, we are taking those steps. Um, and we've laid it out, Travis, in the context of the current commodity price environment that that is something that is certainly achievable for us. Uh, it's built into this year's budget. It's built into next year's budget or will be, and then we've laid it out in our five-year plan. Um, it's a, you know, at the end of the day, the capital commitment and the capital requirements for that are, I would say, less than a percent of our, our overall spend. So uh, certainly achievable numbers, and uh, ideally, Travis, we can, you know, we can exceed that, but uh, we're committed to it. Uh, so look for us to execute on that over the next few years here. shut-ins and some of the volumes that may be left shut-in, whether it's just kind of a, a cost hurdle or, or uh, low productivity wells, will that, will that play into this equation as we think about uh, emission reduction and, and methane reduction? No, no, that's not, I mean, that's not really it, uh, Travis. Those wells are, you know, if, if it makes sense for us to bring them on, regardless of what their emissions are, we'll bring them on. So it, it doesn't have any of that really tied into it. It's, it's more tied into our, our capital program and our commitment overall to reduce those emissions. So it, it doesn't have, um, you know, it wasn't built in with us shutting those volumes in. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from David Popwich from CIBC. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks for taking my question, guys. I just want to ask about the Dakota Access Pipeline. Obviously, that's been in the news a lot lately, and it seems like your stock has traded around, uh, you know, news flow on that topic. So can you just provide a bit of commentary on how you see uh, the potential shutdown of that pipeline impacting your cash flow, whether you just want to talk about, uh, you know, how much you would expect the differential to widen out, how it would impact your realized pricing in either North Dakota or Southeast Saskatchewan, and maybe a general comment on uh, the LSB market if you have any opinion. Thank you. Sure, David, I can take that. It's Ryan. Um, yeah, so, so for us, um, you know, obviously we have been active in North Dakota, so, you know, we do have um, volumes there. Uh, we, we don't have any, you know, direct takeaway commitment on DAPL, so it's, it's not like, um, you know, we have, it, have any issues there. Obviously, you know, we have other uh, market access points from DAPL. Uh, there's other pipelines out in North Dakota. Uh, in the past, we have also, you know, trucked to southeast Saskatchewan at actually, you know, very reasonable uh, trucking rates. So, so we do have options, um, and you know, obviously, can can defer, you know, North Dakota activity uh, as it is a small portion of our production and, and capital budget. We can defer, 
North Dakota activity to, to later into 2021 uh, and wait till we get further news on that. All right, so all in all, you would say it's a pretty minor impact to both your cash flow or realized pricing, however you want to you put it. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair comment, David, yeah. All right, that's it for me. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Craig, there are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. Uh, thank you for taking the time to join our call today. If you have any questions that were not answered, please call our investor relations team at your convenience. Thanks, everyone. Crescent Point's Investor Relations Department can be reached at 1-855-767-6923. That was 1-855-767-6923. Thank you and have a good day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.